This episode of the Wolf of All Streets podcast is sponsored by Horizon and Whalefin. Please stay tuned for more information on them later in the episode. What's up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, and this is the Wolf of All Streets podcast, where two times every week I talk to your favorite personalities from the worlds of Bitcoin, finance, music, art, sports, politics, basically anyone with a good story to tell. And today I have the amazing opportunity to talk with one of my favorite guests who's going to tell his story for the third time on the Wolf of All Streets podcast. That's Mike McGlone, who's the senior commodity strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence. Now, Mike has worked his way all the way from the trading pits up to being the senior commodity strategist at Bloomberg. And I find he has some of the most measured, actually uh, based on data and analytics, God forbid, information in (laughs) this space and always has very strong opinions, loosely held, I should say, as anyone intelligent should about what's happening with the markets. Mike, thank you so much for coming on again today. Well, Scott, that's a lot to live up to, but thanks for having me, and I'm honored because, as I mentioned, I listen to every one of your podcasts, and I appreciate the education you provide. <laughs> we, we we try to uh, we try to educate educate well, certainly. <laughs> so, I you know I, I try not to be too hyper uh, focused on exactly what's happening in the market today, obviously, because these podcasts can be a bit delayed and things change fast. But in general, you and I are talking now in the first week of 2022. What are the market gods telling us? Yeah, um, number one theme I've been using for months now is do not fight the Fed. Cryptos, uh, if you're long risk assets, you are fighting the Fed. And cryptos are the riskiest of assets. The key thing to remember is Bitcoin is the least risky among cryptos. I think it's transitioning from a risk on to a risk off asset. And you know, having worked for primary dealers, starting in the trading pits in the 80s, the lesson I learned about the Fed is... Um, what I think is happening in this case is they will jawbone until the market does their job for them, or they have to just keep raising rates until markets go backwards, which means the stock market, which means we all know we have a high correlation with broad cryptos to the stock market. And, you know, I look at it, I published recently an article that said, I think the game's over. And, you know, that rally we've had since the, the swoon of 2008, you know, the Fed started cutting rates aggressively and, and you know, stock market's gone up forever and everybody says the head, Fed's got their back. Now we have a chairman, Jerome Powell, who's been um, emboldened. He's been reappointed. He's the guy who pushed back against Donald Trump. And then we also have him facing the... Um, the, the highest inflation in 40 years. And I'll leave you with this, his last press conference. He said exactly what I hope he would. He said, he said, he's looking forward to how the markets will perceive what they do 25 years from now. So it's number one thing I try to do in this market, in this business is judge human nature. And my judge is they will be restraining until markets tell them they have to stop. And that's the macro, but I think Bitcoin will come out better off. I think Bitcoin will come off better as, as well. That's an interesting take because you rarely hear someone in that position talking about 25 or 30 years from now, right? And it seems if you've been watching, it feels like they've been hyper-focused on what's happening next week or next month and not what's going to happen in 25 years, right? And so why do you think that uh, change of perception now? Is it because he's emboldened, as you said, by being basically reappointed? Or do you think that that's just what he has to say at this moment? All the above. I mean, I, I know a lot of people in cryptos push back on Fed people and Fed governors, but having been in the business for almost 30 years, they, they're kind of stuck. They have to do what they have to do. And they have, um, you know, they have legacy. They're very educated people. And he's facing very severe inflation. He's thinking of 
his legacy. And I think that's one thing that's happened a lot with COVID is people have become more accustomed to death, unfortunately. And what are the world, what the world's, how the world's going to perceive them when they're gone. And um, as his space as the chairman of the Fed, if he does not do something out about inflation, history will not judge him well. Um, but he can do it easily. He can jawbone and prick as much as possible, which I think they're doing, and they, the markets might do it for him. So I think, like we saw recently, the Fed minutes, what I, we saw with all the, um, the markets are expecting you know, about 100 basis points of tightening in the next 12 months or so. To me, that's still a dream, um, but that's just what we have to think about in, in crypto investing because the bottom line is they are the riskiest of assets. There's massive speculation. I mean, the dog coins and even in things like Cart um, Solana. Um, but I think what people are not getting yet is um, what's going to happen. And that is, um, here's my prediction and that markets pull back finally. Um, we um, finally get a 10%, maybe 20% correction in the stock market. All correlations are one, which is usually the way it works. Bitcoin comes out better off for it. Now, Ethereum potentially too, uh, but then the rest of the space, we do have to admit the speculation you saw in the dog coins last year was indicative of this is just stupid and we're going to tell the story to our grandkids. I think that that uh, is accurate as well. And even myself, you know, it, it's hard not to get caught up in the euphoria of altcoin trading and gains. But they've become to a certain point where they've risen so high that you know that the ones that have gone the highest have the furthest to fall, right? And so it's very easy to sort of identify which ones are likely to be the biggest losers if we do see that tightening in sort of a general market-wide correction. And again, you'll want to be in the strongest assets if you're not leaving the market, which likely are Bitcoin and Ethereum. But I guess it begs the question, you made a very important point, correlation all goes to one in a risk-off sort of environment. But then you see people making the argument that, quote unquote, Bitcoin is correlated to the stock market. And to me, that feels like cherry picking data from those rare moments when that's happening and ignoring the rest of the data, the other 90 something percent of the time when markets are moving freely. Do you think that Bitcoin is generally a correlated asset? Um it's hard. First answer is there's not enough data. I mean, it's only been around about a decade and only realistically in the mainstream the last few years. So um, it, it's in that transition to becoming a global digital reserve asset collateral. Everybody gets it. There's bids below. The greater risk in Bitcoin is staying on zero allocation. And then there's the rest of the space. And I think Ethereum fits in there. Um, and we've seen this from the main people in the world. There's like Elon Musk and Michael Slayer and, and, and all the above. And that's just, the, you look at it as, I look at it as a bell curve. You look at a bell curve five years ago, it was all naysayers. And now the naysayers are such a smart part, small part of the bell curve keeps moving towards, I got to get into space. I'm going to buy dips because if I don't, I'm looking stupid. So to me, that's the way to look at it. And it's going forward that matters. And that is, um, as a commodity guy, see clearly simplistically increasing adoption it's a nascent technology it's a nascent asset that's becoming adopted volatility is going down let's not complicate this supply is declining demand's increasing prices should go up over time there's not too many assets i can say that i mean i compare that to things like commodities and crude oil it's the exact opposite we can create more of it we use less of it and in 10 years we're not going to need it for driving it's just 
fact. Um, and that's if you watch current trends. And of course, if you listen to people like Jeff Booth, which you've interviewed, it's like, we all know what's happening there. I mean, I drive an electric car for a reason. But to me, that's the key thing I see about Bitcoin. And then I see Ethereum similar. I can see that supply schedule declining. It's just, to me, that number go up technology is shocking that they've been able to accomplish, you know, this burning of coins. You can see supply clearly declining. I'm like, okay, well, that's got to change or prices will go up because of adoption and use and everything. So boom, that's, it's that simple. Getting caught up in the, the prices will, will make you lose your hair. So I'll, I'll go there a little bit. Um, su- supply and demand are positive. It's the world's going digital. And these are the key world's digital assets. Um, and, and, and I'll get to price in a little bit. The key thing I want to add to that is the number one is I'll, I'll end with this um, for the next segment. The three musketeers of cryptos fully expect to continue. And they've been the top on coin market cap for at least five years. And that's Bitcoin, Ethereum, and crypto dollars. I, people call them stable coins. I think that's the wrong name because the vast majority are all, they all track the dollar. And that's the key thing we need to point out in this space. The world had a choice. It could have gone, it could have gone in this free market capitalism of, of tokens and, and, cryptization and cryptos. It went for the dollar. And Tether's just one. And there's a dozen wannabes. And to me, that's where I think what's going to, we're going to look back at from the future where China's pushing back because they have to, and they're a communist country, and the U.S. and the rest of the world is leaping forward. Yes, it's not perfect. Yes, you know, capitalism can be sloppy, but it's clearly being embraced by more adoption. And um, what's happened in the U.S. is funds are leaving the country for Canada and Europe now, and that's the U.S. is going to figure it out and say, okay, we just have to regulate this properly. I love the point uh, about the digital dollar and calling it that. And I think that that's what the crypto community has largely missed uh, the mark on over the past few years. We've always talked about the unbanked or the underbanked and a free financial system for people who don't have access. But then we take a leap to assuming that Bitcoin would be the answer for that. And the reality is most people in the world, in my opinion, who are underbanked or unbanked want access to dollars, right? That's the thing they can't get access to. And now they have the ability to do that in a digital wallet via stable coins or digital dollars. Well, that's a cool thing I, I see about, um, um, I, call, I like to call them crypto dollars. Um, and I want to be able to maybe transition later. I'm hoping Bloomberg will create an index and we'll trade futures on those eventually. So that's part of my end game, part of where I sit here. And it's, yeah, it's that ability to be able to transact 24 seven. I mean, if you use your normal dollars globally, you got to wait for the bank to open, right? Instant settlement, no cost. And then the key thing that I've really got, maybe from one of your podcasts is you don't have to hold it in the bank. Once you have dollars in the bank, that's their dollars. You have to get, it's a problem moving them out. You can hold them in your own own um, wallet and it depends on the, on, on the security. But to me, it's just a world, a better way to, you know, it's a better mousetrap. It's, it's, the, it's the automobile replacing the horse and the U.S., is crushing it and the u.s is not going to mess this up and of course i'm an optimist but i i just see that happening and then i also find and then i look at key, see, key thing i like to look at is okay so all these crypto dollars are all based on tokens and the vast majority are ethereum like all right well should i get it that's <laughs> pretty bullish for ethereum and then i look at nfts I'm like okay they're all denominating ethereum all right i get it <laughs> pretty bullish for ethereum so um, yeah, maybe it got expensive around five thousand. It's probably getting might it, probably getting a little cheap around three thousand. But that, those stalwarts there, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and um, and crypto dollars, I think should continue. Everything else is I leave that to you to help me figure out things like Solana, <laughs> things like I mean, I was working on Solana a little bit lately, and I and, and I just dug in a little. I cannot define the supply and demand and the adoption yet that makes me bullish. But I see massive speculation. 
Uh, I think it's massive speculation on the road to those metrics that you're looking for, right? Agreed. And and uh, and I don't think I don't think uh, that you're wrong. I just think it's early, right? And I think that a lot of yeah. these other layer ones uh, will probably find their their place, and maybe we'll have a multi-chain world. But I don't see any of them competing with Ethereum, like uh, on the level that it's it's currently at. Just has too far of a lead, in my opinion. And I think uh, going back to Bitcoin. We obviously both agree that it solidified sort of its case as uh, digital gold, right? As a store of value asset. Do you believe that the store of value pie expands or that Bitcoin basically just has to take market share from other perceived stores of value? I think it's more the latter. Um, here's a simple fact that I love to work on in, in my analysis. It's a fact that Bitcoin is replacing gold in portfolios. So I look at it. Try to project that forward in the future. Just three options. It's, it increases, stays the same, or decreases. I just pick this, okay, trend stays the same or increases. Simple fact. I don't see what stops it, and it's been accelerating. Um, so to me, it, it's, it's got this most unique thing that any commodity person who's been in commodities, it can, I still have my trading pit on. I had to do a TV hit earlier, so I left it on. So I, it gives me good luck. Um, this is the jacket I wore in the trading pits in the 80s, is looks at it and is like, okay, I have to find supply incrementally going down, increasing adoption. Something has to change or price has to go higher. And I think that's, so that's why I see Bitcoin um, in the macro world. And we all know what's happening. It's just the baby steps. Um, you know, what's what could happen last year with El Salvador and that's an, a baby step and what happened with Tesla and baby step. And, um, and, and there's so many, so many things that I see as mostly positive. And the biggest thing I think is most significant was when China banned the mining um, and then major reset, how organically it did it without you know, human intervention. Man, I used to work in the trading pits. When, you remember when you know things are closed, you have limits, they shut down, and you have to. It's, it's, yeah, everything. It just it was so impressive to me. Sure, the price corrected, but came right back and just adjusted. And here's a few things. I key thing I take out of that is, it just emboldened the U.S. to embrace it because there is a cold war going on. It's accelerating, and the U.S. is crushing it in cryptos. In fact, I was so shocked when China banned it because I figured if I'm China, I'm like, all right, I'll start loading up some of these. I mean, they. they the biggest hoarder and, and, and miner of gold on the planet. You take Throwing all your eggs into the old analog gold, I think, is kind of risky. Um, so I figured they would just you know, nationalize the miners and keep the Bitcoin, but they didn't. I was kind of shocked. Um, now it has emboldened the U.S. to, to do the opposite, to, to embrace it. And there's also a unique, unique thing here, Scott, that I don't think people are speaking about a lot is most of those miners migrated to publicly traded U.S. companies, and most of those publicly traded companies hold those Bitcoins. They're not just selling them. So it's already gone into the mainstream of your average investor in the U.S. can just buy miners, and you're getting exposure to the Bitcoin. Yeah, absolutely true. Mining has been definitely one of the big stories of the last year. And you just touched on a few of the other big stories, El Salvador, Tesla, which you could also then extrapolate, obviously, back to 2020 when Michael Saylor and MicroStrategy put Bitcoin on the balance sheet. I hate to always play to sometimes be pessimistic or devil's advocate, but I find it's very interesting that we had those huge events and then no follow through. Right. And Agreed. it's not something people Agreed. have been talking about. You know, Michael Saylor, they bought Bitcoin, Tesla bought Bitcoin. And then Saylor sat down with the CFOs of 2000 companies at his MicroStrategy conference to teach them how to put Bitcoin on the balance sheet. And since then, we've seen none. Right. And we haven't yeah. seen any other countries adopt Bitcoin since El Salvador did. So why do you think that is? 
Well, because um, I, I'll speak for myself, I'm impatient. <laughs> it's about being in markets forever, and it's sometimes you know being too early, and obviously, and many times I'm too late. But I, I think a lot of it's the U.S. accounting mech, um, system is not favorable for companies to hold Bitcoin. But I think it's a matter of time you're going to see companies like Apple do it. When the head of Apple, Tim Cook, says he owns Bitcoin, you know it's about time. It's just it's there's laws that need to be changed there's so many things that need to happen and then there's i love that narrative oh it's it's too high the volatility is too high i'm like okay well great for the volatility to go lower i guarantee it's going to probably happen from a much higher plateau but it's just one of those things we're impatient because we're ahead of the game we've been in it for a while the average person to get their their mind around it is still very difficult this concept of you know a digital asset and i i like to describe it sometimes as you know when people say it doesn't have it's not a physical asset i like to say well here's here's an example of where the world's going we all know what happened blockbuster and kodak and stuff but when you let's say if you have a tesla it's fully charged in your middle of the desert and you're 200 miles from any type of of refueling station what's the value of that tesla versus one right next to you that's not fully charged there's your digital value. There's your value of something that's not physical. And it's not exactly, but um, I, I like to use that in commodities when people give me a hard time about it. I'm like, hey, supply's going down, demand's going up, adoption's increasing. It's just going to take time. And what I see right now is very positive because the market's forming a good base. And generally, I'm always skeptical of bull markets that are so extremely bullish, like the stock market right now. Just, just looking at the charts and just looking at the mentality is I'm so, I, I'm going to have to, you know, it's things like you've read about in history, the highest percentage um, owned of stock markets in U.S. history, the greatest um, uh, appreciation ever, the, 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 the most expensive versus GDP versus the world versus real estate ever. And now the Fed's breaking the bubble. I like to say, okay, well, that's a problem. Then I look at this other asset. It's new. It's just being adopted. Demand's going up. Adoption's just in early days and supply's going down. I'm like, which one do I want to be allocated to in the big picture? And so I say, well, you're supposed to be buying Bitcoin. So I, I do enjoy that narrative also from analysts like at Goldman Sachs looking for a, a super cycle in commodities. I'm like, what are you not remembering about commodities when prices go up? Supply comes back. I used to own a farm. I mean, that's what you learn in the farm is as soon as that price of corn or beans go up, you're going to plant a lot of it and take it out of conservation reserve. And to me, that's the big difference with all assets on the planet right now versus Bitcoin. Yeah, even just uh, when you describe what's been happening in the market sentiment, just the mean reversion trade means that it has to come back down to earth, right? I mean, just to get back to yeah. where, not, not even to have like a proper crash or a real depression or anything like that, just to get back to where fair valuations are could be a pretty serious correction. Well, that's the key thing to remember about markets. A lot of people don't look at the 1987 crash as just a little, you know, a normal year it was. In 1987, the stock market was up 2%. But most people remember it as a significant crash. All it did was mean revert. Now, that was short term, but that's what started this cycle that I think we're ending now, where the Fed's got your back, the Fed's got your put, is your put, and you're fine, you can move higher. Now, we have a Fed that is facing this. And we all knew it was going to come to an end someday. And this is the highest inflation in 40 years, PPI, producer price index, is running 13%. Last time that was 1980. And I was right now around 1979. I was pumping gas. I was a gas jockey. And gas went over a dollar a gallon. We had to start pricing in a half a gallon. I mean, it was like 15. It was like there were little lessons that you learned. To me, that's what happened. The game's over. That's my um, view in terms of the equity market. Maybe real estate's still good because interest rates are, row, are very low and real estate's still very, very valued in many places. 
But the equity game, I think, is over, and that's really against consensus. But it's not going to be believed until it's already at least. Well, let's look at it this way: we haven't had a 10% correction since the swoon last year. So to me, that's what we're going to be looking forward to this year, and it's a major part in, part in cryptos. That's what pushed Bitcoin down. Um, recently from 50,000 to closer to 40,000 is when the, the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ corrected. Um, but I think that's going to disengage at some point. It just, we have to get through the, the tough period first. You talk about the 1980s. I was a kid in the 1980s, obviously, but I remember, you know, my parents saying, listen, you need to open a savings account. I want you to get mm -hmm. a feel for what this is like, get a checkbook. And I was getting like 11, 12, 13% interest. Right. And people don't, of my generation, maybe, but anyone younger does not remember a time when A, you could make money in a savings account, but also to your point, if you bought a house, your interest rate could be like 15%, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. and so, yeah. so, but it's so funny, we talk about raising rates now, but we're going from effectively negative to still very, very low rates. Yeah, it's a key thing to remember is I started trading JGBs. I like using that term because I used it with a young person recently, and they said, what's that? Japanese government bonds. People who've been around for a while knows what a JGB is, but um, you, a lot of your guests have used the term. I started trading those in the 90s, I was, and um, I remember I was sales marketing at the U.S. primary deal, a, a major, it's not the largest Japanese bank, which is Mizuho, back before it became Mizuho, and everybody I talked to on the planet was, we're short and we're happy. And that was the wrong trade because yields kept going down and then went negative. And then they went negative in Europe. And to me, there's only one thing that stops U.S. 10-year yield from going negative, um, and that is the stock market has to keep going up. But once we get a bear market, it's just our turn. Uh, and to me, that's what we're looking forward to. And that's, to me, the scenario that might be kicking in this year that I think is getting started and really is part of that transition where Bitcoin um, should be one of the, the best performers. And I don't really, I think Ethereum too, because it's just more the infrastructure, it's rebuilding the whole fintech infrastructure, but that's the macro. And for that not to happen means the Fed's got to keep tightening. The Fed's just going to tighten until markets inflation goes down. And uh, it's just, we've, I think that end game is kicking in now. Yeah, I, I think so as well. Talk about bull and bear markets, uh, something I just found very interesting that I actually was just looking at today on the chart. It, so people know it's, it's January uh, 6th. A year ago, in two days, on January 8th, 2021, Bitcoin topped at $42,000, right? There was peak euphoria, peak greed. Uh, it was all anybody was talking about. And then we went through this sort of consolidation or corrective period. Now we've tested 42,000 from the top almost a year later to the day. And it's peak fear, peak panic, and it's going to zero. Same price a year later, opposite sentiment. <laughs> what do you make oh, yeah. of that? Oh, exactly. That's the environment you want to be the person looking around behind and say, I'll buy a little. Um, that's exactly the environment you want to be selling when you think when I mean, cause they, they, there were some major bell ringing events last year. I didn't pick them as much as I could have. But one doge <laughs> when got it, it, it within, the, I think it was the top five for a little while. That was just stupid. Yeah, Shibu Inu, 75 cents. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there was just silly, stupid speculation. Um, and unfortunately, you know, when um, the Bitco ETF launched, I didn't think that was going to be as much as a peak and it was, but now the incentive is just what you want to see is when, I mean, there's a few times when I, like, I'll, I have my live TV up and I'm going to anchor will nail me say, Hey, I remember last year was this, this technical analyst, Bitcoin was about 30. So that's going to 20. 
Uh, if it breaks 30, and I just love those kind of things. You mean if it goes down, it's going to go down. <laughs> and like those are usually the best signals to buy. But I think we're close to that now, but you just got to respect the macro. And I, I leave you with this. The bottom line is um, don't fight the Fed. And um, people forgot that. This is a different world now. That world we've been in for most of our lives is over because we have inflation higher than most people are alive today. What's what, 40 years? Um, and, and certainly most people in cryptos don't know, don't know what inflation is. And we're right. getting it. It, it. I think it's transitory. I agree with what Jeff Booth says, but Fed works behind and we kind of need uh, reasons for it to, to, to pull back. And it's this, this sentiment where people just don't want to work. <laughs> yeah. They pull yeah, out of labor force. Uh, and, the, the, yeah, the numbers of the labor force are astounding. I mean, yeah. how many millions of jobs are available with nobody willing to take them? Which is, uh, I, I don't, I, you know, I haven't dug deep enough to quite uh, formulate an opinion on what that means for the economy, but it's pretty mind blowing. Yeah, well, there's only one way to really make that happen is higher wages, right? right. <laughs> so that's inflationary aspect. I, but I look at commodities, I see massive potential deflation just getting started, but they work with a lag and, you know, we're not at that stage yet. The future of cryptocurrency is a multi-chain world, and you can't have a multi-chain world without Horizon, who allows these chains to be interoperable. Horizon is the zero-knowledge-enabled network of blockchains powered by the largest node system, larger than either Bitcoin or Ethereum, with scalability and flexibility unmatched by others. Blockchains built on Horizon are enhanced by ZK-SNARK privacy tech and provide massive throughput without compromising decentralization. Horizon can support up to 10,000 independent blockchains running in parallel and issue an unlimited amount of tokens. That's why huge projects that you love like Celsius, Dash, IOTA, GameStation, Hero Engine, and LTO Network are all building their blockchains with Horizon. Anyone can build on Horizon using their platform Zendu, and Horizon is going to issue their own first token on Zendu this year, Zenny Token. If you're not familiar with all the amazing things that this project is doing, check them out at the wolfofallstreets.link slash Horizon. That's H-O-R-I-Z-E-N. Do it now. If you're looking for a place to invest in crypto and to trade with and without leverage, earn yield all backed by institutional grade security, then look no further than Whalefin. Whalefin is a new product powered by Amber Group. It combines the institutional grade features of the Amber Pro and the intuitive user interface and features of the Amber app. As we enter the metaverse, individual wealth is being built and managed in totally new ways. Whalefin is an all-in-one digital asset platform serving as the gateway to the metaverse and your secure digital wealth partner. Guys, Whalefin combines the world's best investing technology with valuable investment research. It provides the best prices from 100 plus exchanges and venues, all, as I said, with institutional backing and institutional grade security. If you're looking for more information and the perfect platform for trading and investing, then please go to www.thewolfofallstreets.link slash whalefin. That's slash W-H-A-L-E-F-I-N. Check them out now. You said you agree with Jeff Booth on the idea of it being transitory, maybe not the most popular opinion in the crypto space, because for people who don't maybe understand, can you talk a bit more about what that means to you? For, well, let's look at one simple fact. The um, price of, I, I'm a commodity guy, price of um, crude oil just peaked around 80. That's about half the price from 2008. <laughs> just imagine we said that about the stock market. There's one main reason why, because supply exceeds demand because of rapidly advancing technology, because the U.S. has just harnessed shale and brings on supply. And U.S. liquid fuel consumption has been the same for 20 years. 
EVs are just starting to kick in. Um, look at U.S. natural gas. That's the most significant measure of heat and electricity on the planet. The price right now at about below four MMBTUs is the same price as 1996. Just imagine we said that. Exactly. So that's because of massive supply. And we're just using more and more of it. But we're exporting. Yes, Europe has problems, but, you know, they haven't harnessed the technology like we have. So, you know, here's someone who's going to be talking about bullish America. I just point out the facts. And that's part of what Jeff Booth brings on to me. I show in commodities all the time. And um, the average cost of, of U.S. shale crude oil right now dropped about $40 a barrel last year. It's now inching up a little bit. But then in 2014, it was around $70. What, why is that? Because of human ingenuity and technology. It's just the key thing that happens. And what just happened is we just had the biggest boost in prices in a while, which is going to bring on that supply. It's called elasticity of supply and demand. Now, that's a key factor in commodities, but it's the opposite in in uh, Bitcoin it, and Ethereum. It, they don't have that elasticity of supply where higher prices bring on more supply. So as a guy like me, I look at it as that price has to go higher over time unless someone shifts the adoption trend. And I think it's early days. So obviously then deflation is the natural state and natural pressure that's being pushed, not inflation. Inflation is literally, they're, they're literally they increase inflation because of a fear of deflation, right? They're, they're a lot more afraid of a deflationary environment than an inflationary environment. Well, that's the unique juxtaposition we're in right now. Jeff Booth points that out. I completely agree with him. From a resource technology, technological standpoint, absolutely. I mean, your average, Kathy Wood points out, your average electric car is going to be more cost effective than your average internal combustion in four to five years. And that's just following current trends. Yes, there's been blips. I have a Chevy Volt. I love it. It's been the best car of it. It's just a better way to get around. But the technology's forcing that. Now, where are we seeing issues of inflation? Owner's equivalent rent, physical assets, number one. Owner's equivalent rent is a major part of CPI. And that's just a measure of how you would rent your home or your whatever um, asset, a condo. Um, yeah, physical assets. I get it because the bottom line is what just happened is since the beginning of 2020, U.S. money supply increased 40%. Guess how much the stock market and the commodity market increased? About 40%. <laughs> What's going on? That's what the inflation is. And where do we have issues where there's an asset that is not responding to the higher price um, with more supply? That's Bitcoin. So to me, that's the key thing. This inflation could be sticky, but it's how it's measured. And people poo-pooed a lot. And I, I like to say, well, just look at PPI. It's up 13%. CPI is maybe 17% annual. But then I point out things like the most significant measure of heating electricity in this country is the same price as over two decades ago, <laughs> the same uh, crude oil is down 80% from the high 14 years ago. That's kind of deflationary because those are areas where the, in, the technology brings on supply, but technology cannot bring on a supply of a home or land. Yeah, your Thanksgiving turkey is a lot more expensive, but your there you go. And it's and when you really uh, zoom out and look at that, it's it's pretty it's pretty crazy. Because your average person just sees their consumer goods going up and doesn't really yeah. think about the, the the bigger picture that you're talking about there. Interesting, though, you talk about a 10, even 20% correction in the stock market. That's not really the gloom and doom that you see from quite a few people, right? I mean, that that's, that's a call for a healthy correction. That's not a call for a depression, which you see so, so quite often. I have to be careful of just use historical analogies. We should at some point get a 50% correction 
of the rally. The question is, where is the rally from? Um, it's just how it always happens, um, and especially when you go up without interruption. That's the problem with commodities. I, I, you know, Bloomberg Commodity Index has gone up without any complete interruption since that low in 2020, which always means it usually corrects 50%. And the thing, the difference is it has done it twice since the, the peak in 2008. The thing with the stock market is it's, to me, so overdue for some normalization. Every point in history is, is there. I thought this was happening earlier around COVID, but what I misjudged own your mistakes was um, was the massive liquidity that, that was thrown into market. So that gave us the I think that gave us the final boost to get everybody in. So when the correction comes, when people finally realize the stock market doesn't just appreciate 25% on average like it has for the last three years, that changes everything um, because we are the most overweight equities in the history of mankind, even greater than 1929. The most dependent upon it is our savings account. And the Fed knows that. And to me, that's why I have to be careful about it. So a standard correction is 20%. The key thing is it just comes right back, right? So let's say we go down 20% and stay down for a while. That changes everything. So in the immediate term, to me, that's what every investor should be planning for and should prepare for. What are you going to do about it? Because it's so overdue. Now, what might happen is it goes down 20% and then stays down for a long time. Let's look at the peak in 1999. I think it took until 2015 or so. What was that? I forgot to get out of it. I can look at the charts. So it took at least 10, 10 years. Um, we're overdue for that. And it, it's everything points that way. And it's just like I said, don't fight the Fed. They will jawbone until they have to because in these inflation numbers are sticky. The basically owner's equivalent rent, the the numbers they look at, the um, um, and the data they usually get from, um, from their measures are just, I don't see them going back. But I sort of see pretty good signs of deflation going to kick in in commodities and sort of getting started. It's, you keep using the term don't fight the Fed, which we love, but I think for a younger generation who's maybe only been in the market for the last 15 years, don't fight yeah. the Fed almost always meant don't short, right? Okay. It, sort of, it sort of took the opposite, right? The yeah. opposite meaning. So I think to most people, don't fight the Fed means they're going to print money. Don't fight it. It's going to continue to raise prices. But now don't fight the Fed means listen to what they're actually saying. This might be reversing the direction. Oh, that's a fact. It is reverse. And I'm, Scott, right. I brought, I'm yeah. glad you brought that out because I say it intentionally as, as a 57-year-old fart um, that I still feel young at heart. And I feel as a baby in cryptos. There's so much I don't know. <laughs> Every day I don't know. But that's the key thing I emphasize. And I love to say it with young people because that's what they know. Now it's the opposite. Everything changed. The world has changed. There was a flip that switched when inflation hits 40%. And it's just, we all knew it was going to happen eventually that that Fed put would only last until inflation got a hand. Now it is. And it's going to be sticky. Those measures that they look at, they use will be sticky until things go down. We shut down consumer spending. Um, and that's going to take the stock market to go down, bottom line. And it's already, so let's, let's look at what's happened this year. US, the consensus, I love this, is I love to look at a chart of the US long bond. And, I, and Bloomberg, I just, I pulled up for 40 years. It's been going down for 40 years. And the consensus last year was everybody said yields are going to go up. I'm like, okay, they peaked in March, peaked around two and a half percent. That long bond, which is 30 years, I'm a long bond guy because I started in that trading pit, is 2.10. You, you mentioned the date on, on, uh, on, on January 6th. I think it's going to one or below. Why not? Because it's a simple trend. Why? Because it looks forward and those trends are heading lower. But to me, that was my key signal last year when 
all those smart people on Wall Street, I used to be one of them. I'm now in Miami. I don't know what I'm considered here in Miami. Told me Wall yields Street. are going to, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, oh, shit. Wall Street Sorry South. <laughs> it's Wall Street well, South. Well, I mean, it's coming that way. Yeah. No, it's, but so the consensus was wrong and they're still looking for higher yields. I'm like, okay, well, then you need the stock market to go up. Just get that stock market going down and those yields are going to just follow the rest of the world. Bernanke said that in his press conference. They ignore those things. Obviously, they pick out the things that matter. So to me, that's the key thing is it's happening already. Yields already. Yields peaked in March. The grains and commodities, they're the most elastic of commodities because you can produce them in a year. They peaked in May. Copper peaked in May. Crude oil peaked in October. Lumber, I think, was in between there. Everything's turning that way, yet the last one usually to go is the stock market, almost always. So, you know, and this might take months, it might take a year, who knows? But that's what's going to happen because if it doesn't go down, the Fed's just going to keep jawboning and keep tightening until it does. Yeah. And I love sort of what you described as the difference between a 20% drop and a bounce and a 20% drop and living there for a while. Right. And yeah. so I think that, uh, that again, when we're talking sort of about the generational approach and how you should consider that for your own portfolio, that really matters if you're in your fifties or sixties, right? Because it's your, your, your retirement, but if you're in your twenties or your thirties, shouldn't matter, right? You should just keep buying basically when, oh, sure. when the prices are down because eventually it's going to correct to, you know, back to the upside or revert and you'll have benefited from being patient during that time of either sideways or downward action. Those are the rules of investing long-term dollar cost averaging in stock market will always do better. You know, then the general rule is you take the, your age divided by a hundred and that's what you should be in the stock market. So if you're or in the inversion of your 20, you should be 80% in the stock market. You should 70, you should be 30% in the stock market. But I have a feeling that they work great. But when you go through this unprecedented rally we've had since the, the bottom 2008, there's certain times you're supposed to underweight. And it's particularly when you have an alternative. So I like to use an example since the end of 2019, um, you know, right, right before COVID. S&P 500 total return is around 45%. Money supply is around 40%. Stocks, commodities up around 40%. Bitcoin's up 500%. Obviously, Ethereum is much more. What do you want to, is that trend going to end? I mean, I might as well stick with the winners and buy dips in the winners, particularly when they're nascent and the world's adopting. And, and you know, when the airplane was first invented, were you going to, you know, <laughs> you just got to go with it. And that's the way I look at it. But I'm concerned that what usually happens, Scott, is, that narrative is so ingrained, it has to be shaken a little. And when it's shaken a little is when the best time to buy. When people say, oh, it's over, those, that long-term trend of buying equities is no longer going to work. To me, that's what we're going to be in, run into. We always have in history. Every yes, major correction runs, not, and not correction, every major, major bear market runs into it. Okay, it's over. We're not going to have that appreciation anymore. And then you have to find always one thing about um, equities is they, they're based on earnings and almost all the earnings are in tech. Kathy Wood um, <laughs> will we'll tell you that. I mean, it, there's some in energy right now, but that's going to go away because um, prices will go down. If there's that's the key thing. To remember about like energy um, uh, equities is <laughs> if there's profits in equities, it's bad for prices because it means they're going to bring more supply. <laughs> it's just one, one of those things that you have to look forward to. And, um, but to me, this is a narrative I think we're going to look forward to is, um, is there's going to be a point, the time to, I think, to reallocate overweight equities is when that there's chinks in the armor of that old narrative that you have to be in for long term, have to allocate it. When we start hearing people say giving up on it, then it's time to do it because it's just too ingrained. 
Yeah, last I checked, you were supposed to be selling on the way up and buying on the way down. <laughs> at, the, at, the, at the most basic level for, for any well, market, right? Well, that's, I, that's for commodities. It's extreme in commodities. Oh, the rule in commodities is the cure is for higher prices, higher prices, just because it brings on supply. But in, in the stock market, the rule has been buy high, sell higher. But I think it's, um, like I said, I think the game's over. Yeah, it, it seems like the game is over, but trying to time the top in my... Uh, Oh, yeah. My experience is a very uh, difficult errand because I, I think we could have said the same thing a year ago, right? I mean, uh, oh, sure. you, you didn't well, have did. the same signals as you yeah. did before, but uh, you know, we've been talking about this market top probably for as long as you and I have been talking. Oh, oh, sure, I, I agree with that. I've been wrong. That big, and I gave up I for a little wrong. while. Like, I don't think wrong. Well, I, I mean, well, I, I, all right. <laughs> to me, this is a difference now. It's it has changed, and that is. Just listen to the Fed and watch the facts. The highest inflation in 40 years. Most of our listeners are not 40 years old. That's significant. The Fed has to do, unless we change the mandate, which if they do, that's going to, you know, we're going to end up like Zimbabwe. But <laughs> it's just, it's the way it works in this country. It's something that hasn't rarely, ha has never happened in history. Um, and to me, that's, I wrote this, published this recently. You probably saw it and some people have seen on LinkedIn and Twitter's. Is the game over? And obviously, my view is it is. So what does that mean for the dollar? Bitcoin maximalists love nothing than the story of the dollar going to zero and Bitcoin becoming a reserve uh, global currency, but that's probably not what happens here, right? Yeah, you got me on that one. That's a good question. So the key thing to look at the dollar is if you measure the dollar over time, the trade-weighted broad dollar is the most unique, best measure um, it's produced by the Federal Reserve because it measures it relative to our trade partners. It's been going up for 50, 10, 60 years overall. I mean, the chart's clearly like this. It's had one big dip up to the bottom in 2010, but there's a good reason why the dollar appreciates because it's what Churchill says about um, democracy. It's, it's the worst form of government except for all the others. The dollar's the same way. When you measure it against fiat currencies, and I challenge our audience, Give me a better currency over time and in the future. Then look at, the, and, and the key thing that's been driving the dollar for the last few years is a good point, is the relatively outperforming U.S. stock market and higher U.S. rates. Now, we still have, I'm not rates, yields. Still have the relative highest, deepest bond market in the world with the highest yields. That's a win-win for the dollar. If the stock market really goes down, if there's any type of risk-off event, where do people go? The dollar. Oh. <laughs> because right, I mean, what, what currency is better? And, 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 and here's the, the picture I want to end with you. So I, I got this from my son, who's um, 24, is an accountant, and we were bantering over alcohol about the dollar. And his scenario was, Dad, if the U.S. wants to, they can just go invade Canada. Boom, we got all North America. Just invade Mexico. Boom, we got – it's silly, but it's – like that, the U.S. could do that. I mean, won't, but could. There's no other country on the planet that can control a planet and has, I mean, an entire continent and has safety on both all shores. It just doesn't exist. And then with the system, the dollar is unstoppable. And now what's going on in cryptos is means anybody's bearish a dollar. I'm like, good luck with that one. I will buy from you. I mean, I don't, I'm just saying the next trader because you can only get bearish a dollar in the short term versus a basket of other currencies because there's nothing that beats it. It's becoming the, you know, the, the world used to be a gold standard. The world's increasingly on a dollar standard and cryptos are accelerating that. That to me is what's really happened in 2021, the significance of crypto dollars. That's why China, I think, is 
peaked. The Chinese Communist, Communist Party has peaked. They're banning and they're pushing back and free market capitalism is a sign, is a sign of the limits of what they can do with their society. I mean, we all knew communism doesn't work so well because they don't have free markets. And to me, that's what's happening. Cryptos are in the center of this new Cold War. To me, that's the macro. And I can show you the facts and point it out. Here's dollar. I mean, just total amount um, at market cap on crypto dollars is approaching 160 billion. It's up 10x. Tether is obviously the biggest one. And I love when people push back on Tether. I'm like, okay, well, there's a dozen wannabes. If Tether fails, there's a bunch of them other ones. And it's just a better way. So um, dollar's a key point, but if we do have risk off, what are people you should go to? The dollar, where are you going to go? Or maybe the yen, maybe the Swiss in the short term. But, you know, just those countries can be taken over with a couple simple invasion in a heartbeat. And it's 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 a fact, but it's it's silly, but it's true. And they just don't know have anywhere near the oomph that you have. But what's the major comp comp competition? China, managed economy, no free flow capital, no gap. I mean, general counting accepted counting principles are priceless. And that's a big problem we found out lately. It's just, there's, there's no better system than U.S. Yeah, and it's unpopular opinion, but supported by fact that crypto helps the dollar. It's not crushing it. Completely. Elizabeth Warren needs to know as our leaders. And that's one of the things I find is my duty. When I have the facts behind me, and, I, and it's my duty to publish this on the terminal because they read some of this. Stuff. I mean, it's Bloomberg. Um, and their, their, client, their, their, their advisors read it. And uh, it's my duty to point out, and I have, I'll, I'll make headlines. I'm like, <laughs> This is for the U.S. not to mess up. Crypto dollarization, dollar digital dollarization is accelerating. I, you know, I gave a presentation to the Department of Defense, and they were all like shocked. You're an optimist. No, I'm a realist. This is a fact. You need that trend to end. Otherwise, this is the U.S. for just not to mess up, or the dollar is becoming is you know like gold used to be the it used to be silver. Silver was the the global currency. Gold took it over, and it's the dollar, and the dollar is only accelerating despite the fact the U.S total part of U.S. GDP, of global GDP, is decreasing. Now, that's really, you know, not upsetting our um, rivals, but sorry, that's just what the world has decided. I mean, to your point, it's not in a vacuum, right? You just have to be the best of the currencies that you're compared to. It doesn't mean that it's strong, and a vacuum just means you're sort of the prettiest pig in the pen, so to, so to speak, right? And what I find so interesting about that is you can look at any chart over time and generally the dollar is inversely correlated to these other assets, right? Dollar weakness, stock strength. Right. Yeah. So if stocks go down, the dollar should absolutely rip. I mean, it just, it should, right? It, it should rip. Oh, yeah. And that's not what yeah. crypto enthusiasts probably think is the way. Well, it's, it's okay, but I mean, that's one thing, wonderful thing about crypto enthusiasts is they're getting major education in macroeconomics. Um, but sometimes they need to um, think less tactical, listen to old farts like me and, and you, and especially a lot of your guests. And um, that's the bottom line. If you debate a currency, of course the assets <laughs> and the value of that currency are going to go up in price. This is the way it works. I mean, it's a lesson of the Weimar Republic. And most, a lot of the people who owned assets and stocks felt like they're getting rich but they weren't it's just the uh, the denomination was Nominated. declining but that's where bitcoin changes the world and i hate to say the things like i but you know when i first heard this stuff five years ago I'm like yeah that's silly and every day that goes by people like me are realizing it is it is happening and what stops it um and that's what i think it's happening with our congress now those latest testimony i thought was ideal they're going down Love the that. rabbit hole yeah they're getting it 
you know, when your first response is like, yeah, it's silly and internet money. That was my first response. And then every day I realized it's like, yeah, NFTs are, you know, Ethereum's kind of the denominator for the, um, the NFTs. And that's becoming the money, uh, the nomination of the internet. And Bitcoin is becoming the, you know, the, it's the new global digital reserve asset. But you don't want to spend your Bitcoin. The thing is, you can't like that. You want to be able to transact in dollars. Um, anything that's designed to appreciate over time, you're not going to want to spend. But dollars are, you know, they've they've already won that game, and there's no one who's going to beat it right now. Maybe Bitcoin in the long, long term, but um, I'm not kind of worried about that in my lifetime. Yeah, I've made the argument many times, even though the white paper says peer-to-peer cash. That's not what Bitcoin became, and stable coins are a far superior, or we'll call them crypto dollars for you, uh, are a far superior version of what that was intended to be. There's one thing that you said earlier, you were speaking about the dollar. You said, you know, be a bear on the dollar, good luck, you know. Um, and it's something I talk about quite a bit, but being a bear is almost never a good long-term strategy in any market. Right. And, and it's something that I, I think that's something that's so lost, especially in the trading community and the crypto community that people think you can just like be short forever. And that's just, you know, important to remind people that being a bear or being short is usually something that requires impeccable timing. That, that is true in most assets. And there's some exceptions like uh, crude oil since 2008. If you had to yeah. roll those futures, you're making a killing. People forget that. They say, oh, invest in commodities. I'm like, okay, how? You have to roll that future. Unless you want to buy the storage and pay for it, good luck. You buy the equities um, and uh, some currencies. <laughs> you know, the difference is being a short a currency means you typically had to pay the interest rate. Now there's no interest rate. That's true. Um, which is, you know, Elon Musk said that, you know, he's got negative interest in his European accounts and Bitcoin kind of looks attractive um, to that when they had that, you know, that conference last year. But um, that, that's the key thing about shorts you have to cover. But I look at it as an ex hedge fund guy, you know, there's shorts you want to hold against longs. It's the hedge fund, you know, you're, you're long and short, long and short funds. And there's enduring bull markets in Bitcoin and Ethereum. Those are longs I want to hold. There's enduring bear markets in Crude oil, I wouldn't mind holding that short. I mean, it depends on how you do it. Um, and during bull markets and U.S. bond prices, now everybody like keeps saying how bond yields yields are going to go up. Some of your guests even said that. I'm like, yeah, they've just been going down for 40 years. At some point, they might go up. They but bounce. the trend is your <laughs> the, the trend's your friend. We've had a bounce in yields, and this is but and I love it because Scott did this little my history. This was what got me to New York from the trading pits of Chicago. I was working for a primary dealer on the phones and dealing with institutional clients. And after a while, they got sick of me hearing me how bullish I was the bond market. And they finally said, all right, well, go on, come to New York. You can work on that and be trading bonds there. Because I was just pointing out facts of trends and what's happening. It's still the same. It's just yields in the long run were 9% when I came over in the, uh, in the early 90s. And now they're less than 1% or less than two, about 2%. And I'm like, okay, has that trend ended? That's why I keep saying all we need is one little stock bear market to get over that. And then I might change my view, but we have to get over that for everything I look at. We have to get past that period, which is always happens down 20%, stay down a little while. Then I can reassess everything. Cause I look at crude oil. It's probably peaked. It needs the stock market to go higher. I look at bond yields. They probably peaked. It needs the stock market to go higher. If the stock market just does what it has been in history, just correct and stays down a little bit. I'm not saying being bearish long-term, we it, it got to get over that reset before I can really have a good analysis based on, based on more fundamentals. Right now, to me, everything right now is about um, 
not fighting the Fed, and it's how the stock market reacts. I agree. And one thing that you said that I loved and that I also found so shocking was that last congressional hearing about crypto. Because every single time I've turned on any of them, it has seemingly been uneducated politicians who have refused to do the work, who are clearly disinterested and just there up for the press opportunity or you know, to get their one-liner out. This time, it really did feel like they were trying to understand it. Exactly. That's good. I think it was just our judge of, judgment of human nature. And we pointed this out well before. The minute China banned it, it just, you know, when you're, it's just like, uh, uh, you know, the Democrats battling Republicans. Republicans have a view, the Democrats have to take the opposite. Now, when you're arch rival in the world, um, and um, one thing that Trump did prove to us is bashing China gets votes. When the arch rival in, in the world um, is pushing against something and you embrace it, it's win win. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, why take the risk? And who did kind of, um, you know, wh why is the, has the U.S. just crushed it the last 10, 20 years? People say China's taken off. I'm like, really? I can show you some things that are really bad. Like, and, and because we embrace the Internet. Not perfect. But, I mean, so many. Why is Amazon in the U.S.? <laughs> you know, it's, it's a good reason. And I think that's – I hope that bastion of free market capitalism, which is the reason I'm here. I mean, I'm just a descendant of European peasants, and most of us are similar. We all are. And yeah. that's part of the reason I'm – we're in, in – it's, it's like one of the best books I read this year was um, – or last year was um, – um, uh, was uh, by Dominic Frisbee called uh, Daylight Robbery about tax. And, why, and, and that to me is accelerating. Is the world's migrating to where they're getting low taxes. And why are we both in Florida? So I, a lot of our listeners aren't, but come on down. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it's on the way to Puerto Rico for those of you who need to stop <laughs> yeah, off and yeah. want to, and, and maybe you want to like <laughs> test the waters here before you jump all the way down to the, jump all the way down to the next island. It, there's, I mean, it's, there's been a major migration down there. I can't, I'm definitely surprised at how many people I've seen making that move, but I guess you can't be particularly surprised. Yeah. Well, you know, and that's, it's, it's just that lesson of, the tax, and I think that's where the world, the U.S. is crushing it because we have 50 competitive competing states. And it's really seen that, it's amazing how that showed up in Bitcoin between New York and Miami. It's pretty cool. But New York has a bit license. And yeah, it's got the old guard, but you know we're here for a reason and people are coming down here for a reason. Kathy Wood came down for a reason. Scott Miner, you can list them, go down the list. Um, the people could right away. Um, and the other ones are just really, it's a better place to do business. Um, uh, and particularly if the laws are against you. But um, to me, that's what's happening where the U.S., even with COVID, we were less restrictive than the rest of the world. Now, you know, that's the benefit I have of working for a global company. And I speak to people all over the world on calls like this, and most of them envy uh, where we are, and both yeah. of us in Florida, because we have freedom. Absolutely. And they were by law and not allowed to leave their apartments or their homes. <laughs> Yeah, uh, as uh, one of my f former guests, uh, Andrew Henderson, nomad capitalist, said, "Go where you're treated best." You know, <laughs> from from a, from a from a from a tax perspective, certainly, and from a yeah. life perspective, which is a definitely an interesting, interesting way to approach it. So, where can everybody follow you and keep up with your work uh, after this conversation? Wow, that was a quick hour. I'm it on uh, LinkedIn, so LinkedIn, Mike McGlone Bloomberg. I'm on. Um, um, Twitter, Mike McGlone uh, 11, I think it is, or at Mike McGlone 11. Uh, you find me on there. Happy to, um, and I'm happy if people reach out to me. I, I usually, I usually mostly do LinkedIn. I post stuff on Twitter. I just don't have the time for it. 
um, I'm happy to link in with people and I'm happy to put people on my distribution list. Um, and just, you know, I just like to stay civil and people disagree with me. That's great. I just, you know, um, so that's the best way to get me LinkedIn and is the best way Twitter. I just, I just post stuff there. I can't recommend it enough getting on that distribution list. It's definitely uh, good with my morning coffee, whenever it comes out and always keeps me, like I said, grounded and on top of uh, the markets with actual analytics and data to back it up, which I think <laughs> is somewhat uh, rare these days. I, well, I appreciate, once again, that your uh, perspective on what's likely to come. I tend to agree, as we usually do. It will be very, very interesting to see how 2022 plays out, right? Uh, if, if, if it continues to be delayed once again, or if we actually see that correction finally come to fruition. Yes, well, I, I, we've already had a correction, which is good. That's, that's the key thing about 2021. It was a pretty substantial correction. And Bitcoin around 43000 as you mentioned, is the same price as a year ago. And there's a lot of negative sentiment. Like, yep, that's what I like to hear in a bull market. Yep, that's why I'm buying it. Thank you so much, Mike. I appreciate it once again. And we'll do this again to get an update in a few months. All right, Scott. Thanking you. I love your program. I'm one of your biggest fans. Thank you, man.